number three, the Pete Callender Show on News Talk 1110-993 WBT. I'm the Pete Callender with a K. 704-570-1110-1800 WBT-1110. Email is Pete at the Pete Callender Show.com, spelled the same way with that K. And at Pete Callender on Twitter. Got an email here from Mike, who says... Regarding Sherry Beasley and Ted Budd, the top front runners in each of their respective primary races uh, for U.S. Senate, Beasley is the Democrat, Budd is the Republican, and neither one of them have debated any of their primary opponents. And Mike says, how do they get off not debating? If they are going to take a whack at the Senate, they must be master debaters. Otherwise, they are impotent. Oh, my goodness. He says, I know it's a family show. Forget I said it. Well, a little too late for that, Mike. Okay. Um, All right. On the uh, U.S. Senate, are we ever going to see high-profile debates occurring again? Or is that now just going to be a thing of the past? It's not just Bud. It's not just Beasley. It's also Herschel Walker and uh, in Georgia. He's ignoring the press. He's not debating either. This then opens the door up for these questions about how are we actually choosing the candidates? How did Ted Budd pull out to such a large lead? Now, you could say it's due to President Trump's endorsement. Okay. But if you look around the country, that, you know, it it has an impact, especially, I would argue, towards the end of a campaign. It may have more of an impact, as we saw up in. Ohio with J.D. Vance. That was Ohio, right? I think so. But the, uh, yeah. Or is, it, or is that Pennsylvania? No, anyway. Um, I think that does have an impact. But the spread that Bud has been able to widen here, I think that he's he's increasing his polling, his, his margin of uh, victory so far over McCrory. And so I don't know if that's all due to Trump's endorsement from, what, almost a year ago now? I I don't think people are just now finding out that Bud got endorsed. But maybe so. I don't know. Maybe so. I tend to think it has to do with the money being spent. I think it has to do with the club for growth. So who is the club for growth? Piece over at News and Observer by Will Duran. It's actually pretty good. He's a pretty decent reporter. He has his moments. Everyone does. He has his moments. Um, He talks about McCrory's campaign has matched Ted Budd's campaign in fundraising. Did you know that? Both of those campaigns have brought in about $4.5 million. So when it comes to fundraising on their own, McCrory and Budd are tied. They're equally able to bring in the money. So the big difference is, the 10 to 15 millions, originally it was 15, that was committed by Club for Growth. They spent about 10 to 11 million. They see the poll numbers. So they obviously believe their job is done. They pulled the rest of the money out. They're going to send it into other races. Club for Growth is involved so far, apparently, in only one other race in the state, which is the 13th district, which covers uh, the Raleigh suburbs in Southern Wake County, as well as Johnston County. It's a swing district that's expected to be competitive in November. There's no incumbent. So the primary is going to go a long way to deciding 
who the area's next member of Congress is. The Democrat primary is expected to be won by either Wiley Nickel, a state senator from Cary, also a former Obama aide, or Sam Searcy, former state senator from Holly Springs. But over on the GOP side, the Club for Growth is backing Bo Hines, a 26-year-old political newcomer who didn't even live in the district until a few weeks ago, but who does have the backing of both the former President Donald Trump as well as Madison Cawthorn. The Club for Growth does not appear to have entered the race in the 11th district where Cawthorn is fighting for his political survival in the primary. I find that to be very interesting. Club for Growth, not interested in saving Madison, are you? What's up? Why not? What's going on there? But here's a good question. Why did the Club for Growth pick Bud over McCrory? To spend that kind of money? To go all in for Bud so early on? Why? Well, they won't say. Quote, we don't talk about specifics in terms of the endorsement, says Joe Kildia, the group's vice president of communications. Can you be the vice president of communications if you don't do communications? Its uh, super PAC is largely funded by a small group of ultra-wealthy conservative activists up in the Northeast and the Midwest. Its regular PAC received just 1% of its money from donors in North Carolina. Its biggest supporters all live in California, Florida, and New Jersey. New Jersey. (laughs) Interesting. Donors from the Tar Heel State have given the group just about $15,000, and virtually all of that came from one single retiree in Chapel Hill. That's who's funding Club for Growth and the campaign here in North Carolina. The group's two biggest donors are Richard Uline. Does that name ring a bell? His family founded Schlitz Beer, and who is the CEO of a Wisconsin shipping company called... Uline and Jeffrey Yass, Queen. No, I'm kidding. It's just Yass, Y-A-S-S. A Wall Street trader from Pennsylvania. They gave Club for Growth a combined $58 million. That's who is spending on our Senate race. On the Democratic side, there is a super PAC associated with a pro-Israel lobbying group, APAC, A-I-P-A-C, right? And that is backing Democrats who are facing more progressive challengers. Because being a progressive means you hate Israel, by the way. They have spent millions of dollars on ads supporting Don Davis in his District 1 uh, primary, plus Valerie Fouché, whose main opponents are Nita Alam and Clay Aiken in the Durham-centric District 4. Um, Let's see here. The Democratic primary for Wake County DA has attracted the attention of several progressive and civil rights groups, including the ACLU, as longtime District Attorney Lauren Freeman faces a challenge from a pro-reform, in other words, decarceration crazy person, Damon Chetson is his name. Meet Damon Chetson. The NC Property Rights Fund, a political arm of the influential North Carolina Association of Realtors lobbying group is also active in both Democratic and Republican primaries. It has spent about a million dollars backing candidates in races ranging from 
the Charlotte City Council to state legislative primaries for both Republicans and Democrats. I mentioned the uh, race with uh, Fouché and Nida, Nida, sorry, Nida Lam. I think is how she pronounces that. Um, yeah, this is getting to be a very nasty race. Now, they don't call it that in the Democrat primary. Remember, civil wars only occur inside the GOP. So the GOP race for U.S. Senate in the primary, oh, it's nasty. Civil war totally erupted. But over in the uh, Democrat primary, for this District 4 seat, Congress seat, no, no, not a civil war. Just accusations of anti-Semitism and such. We'll get into that up next. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Two months before the May 17th Democratic primary, Nida Alam's congressional campaign was optimistic, says Jeffrey Billman, writing at theassemblync.com. Alam is a 28-year-old Durham County commissioner that raised nearly $700,000 in less than six months. She had soon banked the endorsements of Senators Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, and she believed her top rival, State Senator Valerie Fouché, was struggling to generate enthusiasm despite 25 years in office and the backing of more than two dozen local Democratic officials. But then everything changed. Since mid-March, the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, or APAC, a political action committee that supports pro-Israel candidates, has funneled more than $433,000 into Fouché's coffers, accounting for 54% of the campaign's total fundraising, that according to FEC records. Then came the super PACs, independent organizations that can raise and spend unlimited amounts of money promoting candidates or issues, and the APAC-affiliated super PAC called United Democracy Project, or UDP, along with Democratic Majority for Israel, DMFI, Protect Our Future, puff. It's all, which is funded by a 30-year-old cryptocurrency billionaire, although I don't know, you might want to check that value recently. They began saturating the triangle with $2.7 million in advertising on behalf of Fouché, including... What candidates have raised themselves, the contest is the most expensive Democratic congressional primary in North Carolina history. As of yesterday, the race has seen more spending from outside groups than any state primary for U.S. House in in either party. That funding has propelled Fouché to a 19-point lead. The outside money was also exposed, uh, has exposed the fecklessness of regulations designed to prohibit coordination between campaigns and their super PACs and put into sharp relief a challenge facing campaign finance reformers. During the campaign, Fouché promised to fight the influence of big money. But if she wins, big money will have paved her road to Washington. APAC's motives are not a secret. It wants to defeat Nida Alam the first Muslim woman elected to office in North Carolina. Why would the pro-Israel PAC want to defeat the first Muslim elected to any office in North Carolina? Could be that Nida Alam has been a harsh critic of Israel, Israel's treatments of Palestinians, military aid it gives to Israel. In a December op-ed, she had to apologize for a tweet from 2018 that where she, quote, unintentionally invoked 
anti-Semitic tropes. My bad. I didn't know that was anti-Semitic. Nida Alam. Let's go back to 2021 piece here at Jewish Insider. Nida Alam, a progressive activist and Durham County Commissioner, announced her campaign touting her support for a litany of left-wing policy goals. Medicare for all, Green New Deal, uh, reduced spending on the defense budget. Um, Alam has positioned herself as a vocal opponent of the Jewish state, whose past statements on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict have drawn scrutiny. Notice here, Nida Alam and her comments have not prompted media to force Democrats to play the defender disavow game. Have you noticed that? I just pointed out. Last May, amid escalating violence between Israel and Hamas, Alam participated in a pro-Palestinian rally where protesters chanted slogans like, Israel is an apartheid state. And, my personal favorite, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That slogan is widely considered to be a call to eliminate Israel. <gasps> really? Wait a minute. Let, let me see. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Yeah, that would include all of Israel, so there will be no more Israel. Got it. In the live video she posted to her Facebook page, Alam appears to have been chanting that very slogan along with her fellow protesters. She denounced what she described as ethnic cleansing and the murdering of the children. Um, oh, did I mention? Yeah. She served as vice chair of the North Carolina Democratic Party. You would think somebody somewhere along the line would have said, hey, defend or disavow, Nida Alam. What's up with that? But no. That's why I call it the Big D Shield. It protects you from all sorts of these types of questions. You are not forced to play the D or D game. That's defend or disavow. Yeah, not the one with the rolling of the dice and the characters and dungeon trolling and stuff. No, no, no. D or D, not D and D. D or D, defend or disavow. Nobody is asking any other Democrats to defend or disavow her comments and such. But it seems like she's in for a run for the money now that APAC's involved and is spending tons of it to elect her opponent in that Democrat primary. I'm going to be watching it tonight. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. A reminder, we're doing primary coverage tonight, 7 o'clock. Bo Thompson, Beth Troutman, a host of characters. They're all characters. Myself included. We'll all be here and around uh, giving you all the results and analysis and everything else starting at 7 p.m. So join us right here on News Talk 1110-993-WBT. and One of the races I'm going to be watching is also the North Carolina State Senate District uh, 19. District 19. Why? Glad you asked. There's a fellow who represents that district by the name of Kirk DeVere from Fayetteville. Kirk DeVere. What is so special about Kirk DeVere? Well, Kirk DeVere is a white male Democrat representing a district that has like 40%, I want to say, African-American voters. And he is being targeted by Roy Cooper. The governor, fellow Democrat, white male Democrat, Roy Cooper targets one of his own Democratic colleagues, Kirk DeVere, by backing a primary opponent, Val Applewhite. 
She, according to a public policy polling survey from a couple weeks back, she leads Kirk DeVere in the Democrat primary for state Senate District 19. The poll also shows that more than four in 10 voters are undecided in that race. Now, there is a plus or minus 5%, so it could be anywhere from like 37 to 12% spread, 37 to 12, or it could be as close as 27-22, right? So anyway, the point here, and there is a third candidate who's got like 9% of the vote, so we shall see. But the governor has said he needs a strong advocate to help press for Medicaid expansion. A political strategist for Cooper said the governor was also concerned about the, quote, minimizing of African-American voices in the last round of redistricting. So Governor Cooper, white guy, is saying, I got to I got to weigh in on this primary to get Kirk DeVere out, a white guy, in order to help get a black woman into the seat. But I and I'm doing this because I care about diversity. Bull. You care about making sure this guy isn't there to override your veto in a lame duck session. That's what Cooper's worried about. DeVere called it a political tactic, this release of the poll, says it's a political tactic to steer public opinion. Quote, this poll is right out of the Raleigh political machine playbook. The poll was filled with misinformation and half-truths, which, quite frankly, I am surprised that Val Applewhite would allow to be a part of her campaign. These two, by the way, served on the Fayetteville City Council together. So, yeah, this is Roy Cooper's political ruthlessness, Lucille Sherman wrote at Axios.com. That Cooper has crafted a reputation as a patient, pragmatic dealmaker. But in this year's primary, he's showing another side, political ruthlessness, which, of course, has been a side most Republicans have recognized for the duration of Roy Cooper's time in Raleigh, which has spanned, uh, spans four decades. But again, I mean, look, hey, welcome to the realization reporter, Lucille Sherman. Welcome. We welcome you to our ranks. Roy Cooper is not all that he has seemed. I'm not I am not here to, you know, criticize you for taking so long to be here, but to welcome you for arriving at all. So I'll be watching that race tonight because that is also obviously a warning to any other Democrat. Do not cross Cooper because we don't know what his plans are in two years because he's term limited as a governor. He's going to be a lame duck governor here after this election. And if Republicans do very well, Cooper could be a really lame duck where he can do nothing because if the Republicans end up with a supermajority, they won't need, right? They won't need a single Democrat. And that's what Cooper is trying to prevent because if they get close, if the Republicans in the state Senate get close to a supermajority, say within one or two votes, they get close to that, then they could peel away DeVere as well as another state lawmaker on the Senate side, they could peel away these two sort of conservative Democrats, one black, one white. They could peel them away and get them to vote along with them for things when Roy Cooper's threats don't mean anything to them any longer. But right now they do. That's what Cooper was doing. So this is the message that Cooper was sending to all of the other Democrats. You get on board with my agenda or I will come after you. And this has been Roy Cooper's M.O., by the way, for years. He did it to them. He did it to his fellow Democrats. There you go. Ask Joel Ford, former state senator Joel Ford, who, by the way, will be part of our coverage tonight on WBT at 7 p.m. Joel Ford, he got the wrath of Cooper, too, right, because he crossed Cooper on working on a fix for HB2. 
He was willing to try to work out something with Republicans to basically make the business community to, to, to insulate them from the leftist wackos that were that were demanding boycotts. Cooper, being the politically ruthless person that he is, he recognized the power that was at play there. So he harnessed that, used it for his own political ambition. Essentially lobbied for boycotts of his own state as attorney, uh, attorney general, knowing he would run for governor, knowing he needed a, uh, an issue uh, to run against Pat with McCrory. And, and he was correct. It worked. Helps with the media assist, obviously. That's always the case with Democrats. You really, I mean, honestly, the, the amount of help that Democrats get on their campaigns and messaging, it really is amazing Republicans ever win anything at all. It really is. Um, so I'm watching that race, North Carolina State Senate 19. What else? Um, Board of County Commissioners here in Mecklenburg. Kind of curious about that one. Um, Arthur Griffin, former Charlotte Mecklenburg school board member, he's running as well as, uh, well, he would join if he, uh, if he wins, he would be on the board then with, uh, George Dunlap and, uh, Vilma Leak and, uh, you know, Ella Scarborough, she's now off the board because of medical reasons and such. And did she pass away? Am I misremembering that? I'm sorry. I don't remember. Anyway, Wilhelmina Rembert was named her replacement. But she's not running for the seat, so she's just temporary. But you know who those four are then? They're the original four. When I first started covering the school board, they were Arthur Griffin was chair. Wilhelmina Rembert was vice chair. Dunlap and Leak were the other uh, were district reps on the school board. And now they're going to be on the board of county commissions. And that means more money for schools, everybody. That's what I'm thinking. Also, Democrats... You got a gut check moment here. Sheriff's race and Democratic City Council. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, so gut check time, Democratic voters. Mecklenburg County, specifically Charlotte. So first... Mecklenburg, please, Mecklenburg Democrats, please, for the love of me, please vote to save lives in our jail. Please. I know he just drove out that bus. He's going to try to woo you with buses of books and mobile hotspot Wi-Fi. It is a transparent plea for votes. Oh, no, no, I know. It's, oh, yeah, we got these three buses sitting around. These were inmate transport buses. Sheriff Gary McFadden's like, well, you know, we're not even keeping people in jail, so we're definitely not transferring them. So we don't need these buses anymore. So let's just, let's take all of the money that concealed carry permit holders pay. We'll take that money. People that I have, like me, that have paid in, you're going to take that money and you're going to use it to outfit a bus for a mobile hotspot to drive around communities where your votes are. I mean, where the need is. Sorry. Where the need is. Do you know? Do, am I the only one that sees this as the obvious vote buying thing that it is? Am I the only one? Okay. I know it's for the children. Well, think of the children that get arrested 
The ones that get arrested and then die in jail. There's been a bunch of them. A bunch of people dying in the Mecklenburg County Jail. I don't know. It seems like a pretty big issue to anybody that has a family member that might get arrested anytime. So, I don't know. Maybe thinking, let's not have the guy who was a homicide detective, who apparently can't testify in court because he did something really bad. That's usually what happens. That's what that's what they said in the debate. And you got a woman who's running a historical nominee, you might say. Historical. She's a black woman. A historical candidate here. Who are you to defy history? Gina Hicks, who actually ran the jail and didn't have a whole bunch of people dying all the time. Didn't need to go out and beef up a bus with some Wi-Fi in order to buy votes. I mean, help the children. Sorry. So please, save the jail, save the sheriff's office, and a whole bunch of inmates as well by kicking McFadden out. But Democrats, you're the ones that are going to have to do that. I've done my part. It's all I can do. It's a Democrat primary. You're gonna ha- you guys are going to have to do it. Um, you guys are going to have to also say no to Pat Cannon's attempt to shame us, to guilt us into giving him power again. That's on you. If you want me to believe that you'd have seen a guy like Trump coming a mile away if he was in your party and you would totally oppose him, blah, blah, blah. Here's your chance, Democrats. You got a guy who literally went to prison on corruption charges, taking bribes, and he wants back in. And he's, uh, and, and he's using what is essentially a sociopathic argument on us, the constituents, the citizens of this great city. He says, we have to vote for him to prove we forgive him. That's, that Charlotte is a city that forgives and gives second chances. We have to give him power again. If that sounds like a really crummy deal, it's because it is. It's the deal that an abuser offers you. Cannon did say, though, that as a way to make sure that he wouldn't be taking any more bribes in the future, um, just so we could all be assured that he was all on the up and up at this point going forward, he did mention all the classes that he took that taught him not to take the bribes. So apparently you you need to take some classes, get some educating like that. So he did that while he was in federal prison, so he took the classes so he wouldn't be stealing anymore. But he also said that he will have somebody with him at all times to ensure that he doesn't give anybody any reason to suspect that he's taken the bribes again, right? So a quick question, maybe somebody might uh, stick a mic in his face, ask him this one, who pays for that? Who's paying for the extra staffer that's going to shadow Pat Cannon 24-7? And is it really going to be 24-7? I wouldn't want that gig. Would you want that gig 24-7? You're going to have to have relief, so you've got to have at least two people. They've got to trade off shifts because what happens when someone, you know, punches out for the day, then what if Cannon jumps in his car and goes, you know, scores a quick bribe? You can't stop that from happening. You're going to need, okay, oh, you know what? Actually, how about this? Body cam. Body camera, right. He's going to have to wear a body camera. It's the most it's the most cost effective way to ensure that we forgive him. Body cam cannon. That's what we're going to call him. Body cam cannon. Uh, that's how you are able to win back uh, the trust of the of the citizens. It's not by a bunch of morons voting you back into office. It's going to be you wearing a body cam twenty four seven. Sorry. Sorry.
Gut check, Democrats. This is your moment to shine. Moment to shine. To save lives by voting out McGarry. (laughs) And to save our city's reputation by making sure Cannon doesn't get anywhere near elected office again. Brett Winterbill's coming up next. I'll see you later tonight. Don't break anything while I'm gone. (laughs) 